Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Good morning and welcome to Gateway. Thrilled that you're with us. I have to confess that I had a long and robust discussion with the people regarding the fire evacuation. I wanted everybody as they left to go up through the stairs, go past my office where I would be present to give each one of you three books. (laughs) But they just wouldn't let me do it. Never mind. Hey, um, we've been doing a series on David um, and I want to wind that series up this morning. We've had a couple of weeks break in the mornings um, with our celebration Sunday and also our baptismal day. Um, But prior to that, I'd been looking at David's life and the key geographical locations of David's life and talking about um, what God taught David in those particular locations. So we looked at Bethlehem where we saw David faithful in little things. We looked at Gibeah where we saw him tested by early success. Adullam where he was in incredible adversity. Hebron, where he waited patiently, um, resisting the uh, uh, temptation to be an opportunist and grab for what God had promised him early. And then finally, we saw him in Zion and the fulfillment of those things that God had promised him. In the last couple of evening services, I've continued the series. So if you only come in the morning um, and want to follow through, you might like to go on podcast because... Uh, In the evenings, I've looked at a couple of characteristics that I think um, became features in David's life that made him a man after God's own heart. So we looked at David's forgiveness of Nabal um, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and then last week in the evening, we looked at David's incredibly tender approach towards spiritual authority. I want to conclude the series by looking at what I think is perhaps the key feature in David or anybody else, for that matter, becoming a man or woman after God's own heart. And so I'm going to read to you from Psalm 78, the last verses of Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. And it goes like this. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes great with young. He brought them to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And it's those last two phrases I want to focus on this morning. He fed them according to the integrity of his heart and he guided them by the skillfulness of of his hands. That passage outlines two outstanding features in David's life, one internal and the other external. His integrity, that was the internal condition of his heart, and his skillfulness of hands, which was obviously his outer giftedness. I wonder that if I were to do a poll this morning and ask you, what's the essence of a successful man or woman of God? What's the essence of a person who perhaps is a leader? What qualities would you consider to be essential? And I wonder what kind of list we would come up with. Maybe something like creative skills or leadership style, um, personal dynamism or intellectual grasp, perhaps prophetic vision or managerial skills, Bible knowledge or supernatural gifts. All of them important, and as important as they might be, what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that they all relate, all of those things that I just said, all relate to outer giftedness. 
they all could be uh, equated with the skillfulness of hands. All of those things touch the outward person and, and are worn, as it were, like a cloak. But the, the incredible reality is that they can actually leave the inward person quite untouched. And it's possible to have giftings and actually be quite dynamically powerful and yet for the inward person to be in complete disarray. And we see that as an example in Saul, David's predecessor. Saul was an incredibly gifted individual. He took a divided nation and wielded it into one. He created an army out of thin air. He won battles in the power of God. He flowed in the prophetic gifts. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the impossible. And yet, all the while he's eaten out with insecurity and jealousy. He's quite capable of murder. He's willing to live in spiritual darkness, outwardly spiritually gifted, inwardly in disarray. As important as skillfulness of hands might be, I would suggest to you that the number one foundation stone in terms of a person becoming a man or woman after God's own heart is this thing called integrity of heart. Uh, I'd also like to suggest to you that an impact, uh, the, the impact of perhaps those of you who are functioning in some form of leadership will never rise beyond your willingness to hear the Holy Spirit's dealings with your heart. This is a subject that I've talked on um, numerous times over the years. I'm sure some of you, especially those who've perhaps traveled with me on missions trips, could repeat the essence of this message by heart but I'm unapologetic, and I want to impress it on you one more time. Integrity of heart. Now, the word integrity is loaded with implications of things like honesty, trustworthiness, dependability, reliability, faithfulness. But before we actually touch or see or deal with the integrity of our actions or the integrity of our speech, there is this deeper issue of integrity of heart. You know, the writer to the Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. The integrity of heart is the foundation stone that leads to an integrity in terms of our lives or our speech. I think the essence of becoming a man or woman after God's own heart has to do with cultivating the issues that arise from and the dealings of God with our hearts. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated by our English word integrity is a word tum, and it occurs about 20 times uh, in the scripture, and it has the idea of something being whole, complete, um, something that is transparently free of duplicity. It isn't talking about some kind of fastidious flawlessness. It's not, it's not flawless, but it's just complete and whole in its devotion. David Vaughan says, a person with integrity does not have divided loyalties. That's duplicity. Nor is he or she merely pretending. That's hypocrisy. People with integrity are whole people, and they can be identified, he says, by their single-mindedness. So integrity is about a posture of heart. As I say, it's clearly not referencing some kind of flawlessness, which is completely beyond any of us. It is simply living 
as best as we are able with our hearts singly directed, wholly postured toward the Lord. It's about a willingness to live in and be responsive to the light that the Holy Spirit gives you. So integrity actually is intimately related to the presence of God. In Psalm 25, David says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me because I wait on you. He is in the presence of God waiting, and there is this issue of integrity of heart that is being focused on. It's intimately related to living in the presence of God. It's a willingness on our parts to go before the presence of God, defenses down, and hear his commentary on our lives, our actions, our attitudes, our motivations. So the person who's manifesting integrity of heart displays a willingness to go into God's presence and let him pass judgment uh, on us and an and openness on our part to receive it. That kind of integrity manifests a willingness to constantly invite the Holy Spirit to make me sensitive to issues and matters that make a difference to him however small and unperceived they might be to me or to other people. It requires me to lay down what I think, assume, and listen to the Lord's deliberations on my life. And I want to tell you that level of vulnerability, I I think, is not easily achieved. To the degree that we refuse this, to the degree that we refuse to be vulnerable, we create shadows in our experience, and it's those shadows that stop us functioning in integrity of heart. David Vaughan, in his definition of integrity, spoke about single-mindedness, the single-mindedness of integrity. And that reminds me of a New Testament passage where the idea of single-mindedness is spoken of by Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. It's part of a a wider passage, but I'm just reading the, the, the center of it. And Jesus says this, No man, when he has lighted a candle, puts it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. You know, when when we think of those passages, you know, where Jesus says, put a candle and put it on a candlestick, many of us, especially if we've been in Christian circles for long, we immediately think of evangelism. We think this is about let my little light shine. Well, in Matthew, where it talks about the candle, it's speaking like that. But in Luke, it's not talking about evangelism. This is talking about the dealings of God's Holy Spirit with our hearts. And he goes on and says, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, there's that singleness that Vaughan was talking about, your whole body is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. It's the old King James Version, but it says it very beautifully. When your eye is single. Now, that expression introduces, and Jesus meant it to, a very powerful word picture that the people, his hearers, would have completely understood. But for many of us, removed from that cultural setting, it completely goes over our head. The Greek word translated by the English word single is a word called haplous. 
And, and I don't want to be complicated, but it's a compound word in the Greek, and it has what's called an alpha privative in front of it. So the, the word plus means folded. The alpha privative in front of it, plus, negates it. So it turns it on its head and makes it an opposite. It, what Jesus is saying here is don't let your eye be folded. Um, a Greek scholar, Theus, says, let your eye be without folds. Now, here's Jesus painting a picture for us. In ancient times, and still in many places in Asia and the Middle East, if you want to buy cloth, you go down into the marketplace to purchase it. And you'd go to a stand where a merchant would have all kinds of, you know, the bolts of cloth laid out. And uh, if he was an honest merchant, and you said, look, I'm interested in that cloth and that color, he would then open it up and unfold it so that you could look at it. If there were any flaws in the material, they would be exposed to view. Jesus and his listeners were well aware that not all merchants were honest, and that there would be those who, by the smooth movements of their hands, by sleight of hands, by cleverness, they could unfold the cloth in a way that if there was a flaw, you wouldn't see it. And so they would, by, as I say, by sleight of hand, unfold it, fold it over, and you say, okay, I'll take that piece. This happened to me in Nepal. I was going to buy Karen a pashmina, and I came home, and uh, having purchased it, unfolded it, and it was flawed right through the middle. So this means something to me. I was taken in. Obviously, you can't then go back and say, this is flawed, because the person's going to say, well, you can't expect me to take it back. I showed it to you. It, didn't hap it, it wasn't there when I showed it to you. It's, that's happened on your watch. I'm sorry, you're not getting your money back. Everybody understands that. Integrity of heart, singleness of eyes, Jesus said, displays a willingness to come before the Lord's presence without folds so that we open up our lives and we aren't trying to hide anything. We come to him fully open, not turning away slightly where it would be inconvenient for us to hear his commentary on a particular way we're living, where we kind of just, I don't want to talk about that, and we turn sideways. Jesus is saying integrity of heart, singleness of eye, is coming before him and, and folding the cloth of our lives out. Not trying to be smooth in our dealings with him. You know, when we deal smoothly with the Lord, it's, also, it's always very clumsy. Anytime you try and be smooth with God, it's clumsy. He doesn't want us to be smooth. Integrity of heart is about coming before God sincerely and praying David's prayer. David prayed a number of prayers that are profoundly related to, to this issue of integrity. Unite my heart, O oh God. Bring it together. Where it's fractured and, and, and frazzled, will you unite it so it's whole in its devotion to you? That's one. The other is in Psalm 139, verse 23, where he says, Search me, O oh God. Apparently, the Danish version has ransack me, O oh God. I don't know about you. I prefer search me ransack me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Unfolded. Lord, I, I, I don't even know my own heart. My heart is deceitful. As Jeremiah says, I need you to shine light on it. There are flaws there that I don't even see. There are flaws that I do see, and I don't want you to deal with them. But 
Search me, O God. The message says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. So integrity of heart. Before we get to integrity of actions and integrity of speech, the integrity of heart is coming before the Lord. And I don't know when you do this, either in the morning or in the evening or sometimes during the day and laying out your life and saying, are we okay, God? Is there anything? Are we okay? Those of you who are married, you know that there are times when you're in some social interaction and you notice that your spouse isn't, something's wrong. You don't know what it is. You know something's gone down and you will usually get aside or at some point and say, are we okay? Is everything all right? It's doing the same with the Lord. It's coming before him and saying, Lord, are we okay? And then listening and seeing what he says, seeing what he impresses on you. You'd be a surprise so how many times a conversation that you've had earlier in the day will come up. A, a reaction will, will arise. He will just point something out, say, I want you to say sorry. I want you to deal with that. That's inappropriate for someone who's been on the road for so long. I don't want you to function like that. So that's what integrity of heart is about. One of the things that moves me deeply to want to be a person of integrity of heart, apart from just wanting to please God, is that as you look through the scriptures at integrity of heart, some of the promises associated with it are quite spectacular. And I want to briefly take you on a journey this morning and show you, if you promise to function like that, God says, I promise you these things. Okay, number one. Integrity of heart will preserve you from damning mistakes that you could make as a result of your ignorance. All right? Let me read to you a passage. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Here's a man who hasn't been given a full picture. He's been given some information, much of which is not true. He's believed it and he's functioned on it. God steps in and says, that, man is, that, that woman is that man's wife, and if you touch her, you're dead meat. He says, Lord, I didn't know. And the Lord says, I know. And he says, I, I was functioning in integrity of heart. And God says, I know. It's the reason I have stepped in and stopped you making this mistake. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you walk in an integrity of heart, you will never make any mistakes. That's beyond all of us. The reality, however, is if you will walk in the light that God gives you, I believe that God will prevent damning mistakes as a result of your ignorance. So it's not that integrity ensures your perfection, but I do believe integrity will ensure your protection in key issues of your life. 
I, I could tell you about some issues in my life personally and also in our ministry where we have done things not knowing the facts. The reality is always, often, we don't have a full picture. And in those instances, a couple that I can think of, I believe God stepped in and saved us in quite an amazing way simply because we were trying to walk in integrity of heart and he said, you haven't got all the picture. I'm stopping this or I'm doing this because you don't have all the picture. I know that you're walking in the light that you have. I don't want you to take this action. I, I, it's, it becomes crucial as a leader. You know, we, we, the reality is we don't have all the facts before us. Sometimes deliberately withheld, sometimes just that's the nature of our humanity. But God says, you walk in the light you have, I'll walk with you. The second thing is that integrity protects us from the powers of darkness. In Psalm 25, it says, Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. I don't think you get a better description of the demonic realm than that. Enemies that are many and that hate you with a cruel hatred. And then David prays, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, because I wait on you. I think we live in a time of uh, heightened spiritual activity, and I'd like to suggest to you that integrity is a vital part of your armor. Like I said before, when you fail to function in integrity, when you fold dimensions of your life and just keep them away from the, the light of God's dealing with you, you just won't, you won't countenance him speaking to that area. You turn side on to the light that is shining, and what that does is it creates shadows. And our enemy dwells in the shadows. Charles Spurgeon once very wisely said, the adversary finds his greatest weapons against us in the stockpile of our own disobedience. In other words, where we create shadows because we won't allow the Holy Spirit access to a particular area, the enemy moves in those shadows. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 7 in the Amplified Bible says, he's a shield to those who walk uprightly and in integrity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, the Moffat translation talks about functioning with the weapons of integrity for both attack and defense. In Ephesians, in a passage that you know well, chapter 6, verse 14 says that we are to wear the breastplate of righteousness. Moffat translates that, wear integrity as your coat of mail. There is something about walking in the light that protects you from the damning barbs of the enemy that he would want to bring against you. It functions as, as, if you like, as kind of like an atmosphere around our lives in the same way that the Earth's atmosphere stops a huge amount of meteors and space junk from actually hitting the Earth and causing damage. The atmosphere burns them up. There is something about integrity that creates an atmosphere around our lives that stops much of that which the enemy would seek to bring against you. Maybe not everything, because we all battle. But I'm convinced that integrity is a part of our defense in times of heightened spiritual activity. So it protects us and prevents us making damning mistakes as a result of our ignorance. It protects us against the barbs of the enemy. Number three, it ensures continuity and durability of our, of our walk. 
in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, God says to Solomon, who's just newly been installed as the king, if you walk before me as your father did in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I'll establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. You won't just come and go. If you walk in integrity of heart, it won't be a flash in the pan moment. There's continuity and durability. You will survive and you'll, you'll flourish long term. You know what? Over the years, I've seen incredible ministries come, light up the sky with their giftedness and brilliance and suddenly be gone amidst rumors of, of uh, financial irregularity or, or, or moral failure. It happens all of the time. And, and the promise is if you will function in integrity of heart, God will preserve. There will be durability and continuity. We don't need more, more um, you know, meteoric people to light up the sky for a moment and be gone. We need people who will be there for the long haul. Somebody once said to me, well, I'd rather, rust out than, 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 I'd rather burn out than rust out. Well, I said, if they were the only options, so would I. But they're not the only options. We're not called to burn out or rust out. We're called to shine forth. And there is something about durability and continuity that's required in that. And if you will function in integrity of heart, God says, I'll preserve you. You'll be there at the end. I can't begin to tell you, you know, the, to list the number of people that started in ministry with Karen and I who are A, not in ministry, and B, numbers of them not even Christ followers now. And you think, what happened? We all started off with such uh, enthusiasm and excitement and passion. This is, this is a marathon, friends. It's not a 100-yard dash. And, and integrity of heart results in durability and continuity. Proverbs 2.21 in the Amplified Bible says, For the upright, those who are in right standing with God, will live in the land. And those of integrity who are blameless in God's sight will remain in it. God will keep you there. You won't be in and out, slip-sliding away, as Paul Simon says. Psalm 26, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. It preserves you from damning mistakes as a result of your ignorance. It protects you from spiritual powers and darkness. And here, it gives you durability and continuity. I think the fourth thing is probably one of the questions I'm most often asked as a pastor. How do I hear God's voice? How do I know God's guidance? Well, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, relates to the fact that integrity is related to guidance. It says, the integrity of the upright will guide them. The Hebrew word tum, which is translated by our English word integrity, in its plural form is the word tumim. In, in Hebrew, when you want to pluralize a word, you, you add im, so cherub becomes cherubim. Eloah becomes Elohim. Here we have tum becoming tumim. That word might be familiar to some of you who read the Old Testament because you might remember that in the Old Testament, the high priest had a breastplate, and in the breastplate, he had this thing called the Urim and the Thummim. We don't know what they were. The Bible doesn't describe them, but we know what they were used for. They were used for guidance. 
So when the king or, or the leader of Israel needed, David often did it, when he needed guidance, he went to the priest who had the Urim and the Thummim and said, I need to know this. Remember in, uh, he, he, when, he was, um, when Saul died, he, he says, where do I go to? And the Lord said, don't go to Jerusalem, go to Hebron. It was the Urim and the Thummim. He, he was consulting this point of leadership. This has to do with integrity. The Urim, by the way, means lights. Lights and integrity. You know, the Bible says that we wear a breastplate. It's the breastplate of righteousness that I just referenced a moment ago. And, and I think there is something about that breastplate and functioning in integrity of heart that throws light on our way. Paul says in Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your heart. It means let it be an umpire, an arbitrator. There is something within us, if we will function in integrity, that will give us directions. There will be that sense of disturbance within us. There's something wrong here. There's something not quite right here. Or this is the pathway, walk ye in it. Friends, when, when you're functioning in integrity of heart, it's the little decisions, the, the little choices that you make that you are willing to lay before the Lord that, that, that will build a pattern in terms of the way you hear God. Now, you might think it's really small. You, you might have been sharp with somebody, and you know, you're in your prayer time, and that, it, it, the memory of that comes up, and there's that sense of, you know, I didn't do particularly well with that. What, what should I do? And the Lord says, I want you to go and say sorry. Or, or you feel like, you know, maybe when I say the Lord says that, it seems too direct because we don't always hear the voice. There's just that sense, I need to put that right. Because, oh, it's not a big deal. And besides, they were sharp to me. And they did that yesterday. And, they, and, and we just turn sideways to the light. When, when you sense that, function on it. Go and say, hey, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I said that wrong. Oftentimes they'll say, you know what, I didn't even notice it. It doesn't matter that they didn't notice it, the Lord did. And when you do that, you set up a flow in your life I've mentioned this numerous times before, I'm sorry to be redundant, but I was just reading John 12 the other day and it was referencing Judas who got upset that Mary anointed Jesus with very expensive oil. And, and it says that he said, you know, this could have been sold and given to the poor. He wasn't interested in the poor. He didn't have a heart for the poor. The Bible tells us in verse 6 of that chapter that he was a thief and he'd been taking money out of it. And he'd taken a considerable amount of money out of it, by the way. It wasn't 50 cents here and, and a dollar and a half there. In, in the book of Acts, it says he'd bought a property with the wages of unrighteousness. You say, oh, well, that was the money he used to betray Jesus. No, it wasn't. He took that back and threw it at the priest's feet, remember? He'd taken enough money out of the bag over that three years to buy property. And then suddenly he's faced with this incredibly big decision of whether I will betray Messiah, Jesus. And there are people who say, well, he didn't have any choice. He didn't have any choice. You know, God had preordained Jesus, Judas to be the betrayer. I really struggle with that kind of mentality. And it's not the place to unpack that, but I don't think he was predetermined by God to be the betrayer. I think he was predetermined to be the betrayer by virtue of choices that he'd made over a three and a half year period. 
He'd made dishonest choices regarding money for a long time, and this was just one more, one more brick in the wall. And the fact that he betrayed Jesus wasn't the preordained, determined plan of God that Judas had no control over. It's all about what you do with small decisions. I guarantee the first time he took some money out of that, there was, a, he was, there was something that stroke, uh, struck his conscience. David was so sensitive to this issue. I talked about it last Sunday. When he cut Saul's garment off, he could have killed him, he didn't. He cut the garment off and it says he was smitten in his heart. For goodness sake, he could have killed him, he didn't. Why would he be smitten? Because he had violated spiritual authority. He knew that he had and he knew he shouldn't and he apologized. David's men were stunned. You could have killed him. What's, what's with the remorse over cutting his suit? You could have stabbed him. But David is so sensitive to the issues that, that, that are important to God. When Judas first felt that prompt, I shouldn't do this, he turned sideways, and he got he got used to turning sideways so that ultimately you can, you can silence your conscience. The Bible talks about those who have a seared conscience. You can go to your computer, click on your mouse, and you don't even feel the pain anymore of the sight that you're going into. You did initially, but you don't now. You've turned sideways, and you've created shadows in which the enemy lurks and moves. This issue of integrity of heart is so important. You swing around and without folds, you open your life, and you say, Father, are we okay? And then you act on what he says. If you're, if you're prepared to do that, then, then guidance can be something that comes to your life. There's light and integrities that will lead you in the issues of your life. Integrity is intimately related to guidance. Lastly, integrity is something that blesses your descendants. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, it says, A just man walks in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. I'd like to suggest to you that that's not only a matter of your physical children, that in any place in leadership that you function, if you're in integrity of heart, the people that you're responsible for, if you like, your children, although I don't mean to sound patriarchal in saying that, people will be blessed when you function in integrity. There is something that comes to other people when you function like that. And uh, I, I, David, a man after God's own heart, and I think the primary thing, the thing actually that led to all of the other things that we've seen with regard David comes back to this issue. He led in the integrity of his heart, and yes, there was skillfulness of hands but it was that issue that made David a man after God's own heart. It was that issue that made him function in integrity with regard to his behavior and integrity regarding his speech, and his kingdom was blessed as a result. Where he compromised, you know, he and his descendants struggled. We have responsibility not just for our own lives. John Donne said, no man is an island. Don't ask who does the bell toll for? It tolls for you, he said in that famous poem. You know, we, we are intimately related to other people, and if we want to serve them and be a blessing to them, then integrity of heart is absolutely essential. So David, the man of integrity, says this in Psalm 86, verse 1, and his prayer maybe should be ours. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The Hebrew in the margin of my Bible says, give me singleness of heart. 
He's talking about integrity. Will you pull my heart into one whole so it's integrated and postured toward you, open before you without folds? Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.